I chose the college that I attended for two reasons. One, for the music program. Some of you may not know this, but I started out a music major, and so one of the reasons I chose the school I attended was for music. The second reason I chose that school is distance from home. Of the five schools that I had been accepted into, it was the farthest from home. And so, yes, yes, I'm a weedy. I went to Wheaton College. And I didn't know this until I showed up on campus, but it has a reputation for being like the Harvard of Christian colleges. So like everybody I met was valedictorian of their class, except me. <laughs> okay, my roommate got a perfect score on the ACT. Like you just run into these people all the time. And, and at Wheaton College, they, almost every semester, almost every class, almost every chapel challenged us to do something for God. Do something for God. And it was drilled into us. Um, and you could do that for missions in the old campus building, the main campus on building. There was an entire wall devoted, and every class listed the class members who went off to missions. Maybe it was doing something big in the inner city where you were reaching people that the church wasn't effectively reaching. Uh, maybe it was to become a governor or senator. One of my best friends, Marty, her dad is John Ashcroft, who you know, later became attorney general. Um, Steve Palau, whose dad is Luis Palau, the evangelist. So like you would run into people like this. And so, um, and in case we forgot, in case we forgot that we should do something for God, we were reminded all the time of our school's most famous alumnus, right? Billy Graham. And he didn't do small things for God. He did big things for God. You know, when he had crusades, they weren't in Muncie, Indiana. It was in New York, Rio de Janeiro, Brussels, London. Um, and they even have a center named after him that's literally right across the street from the other building. Um, and so when Jenny and I moved to Kentucky, it was in our DNA to be doing something for God. I mean, we were just programmed, do something for God, do something big for God. And it's really funny, uh, we had lived here three years, and one of Jenny's teaching friends pulled her aside, and, and this lady was an Asbury College alumnus. And she pulled Jenny aside, and she said, you know, I finally figured you and Max out. She goes, Really? She said, yeah, I figured you, you know, I'd never met Wheaton students before, but I, I figured you guys out. See, at Asbury, we feel guilty because we're not holy enough and we're not doing enough. You guys from Wheaton, you feel guilty because you're not God. <laughs> and she hit it on the nail. <laughs> so... It was drilled into us all the time, man. You've got stuff, you've got issues that you need to address and you need to come clean on so that you can be used of God. Um, and the greatest accolade that you could get at Wheaton was to have someone say of you, oh, oh, Gary, Gary has been greatly used of God. And so you kind of aspired to get into that category. Now, this approach, this way of seeing things can be another God filter. I happen to think of the four God filters that I've talked about, this has the fewest number of people in it, but I wanted to address it nonetheless because I had this filter for a while in my life. Um, and so again, with God filters, you, it's a way of seeing God that because of your childhood, because of your church experience, because of a school, because of relationships, you just kind of see God that way that may not be true, may not be biblical, and may not be helpful. 
Okay, and so this particular God filter seems God-honoring, and it seems righteous, but it misses something very important. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the, you know, life from God, okay? I'm the center of the universe, and everything revolves around me, me, myself, and I, me, 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 okay? And you know people like that, okay? And so uh, in, the, in this worldview, um, you know, everything kind of revolves around you. And a lot of people in America have this particular God filter, because let's be honest, America produces consumers. It's what America does really well, okay? Now, because of that, pastors and Christian authors have gotten crotchety about this God filter. And so we've, we've done a lot of sermons and books. And so, um, and again, these are good books. So don't, you know, I don't want you to misunderstand. There's some good things in this book, but I want to talk about the extreme version of this God filter today. Okay, so radical, David Platt. What he's trying, what he's trying to do is, hey, hey, do something for God. Be radical. You know, actually obey Jesus. It's radical, okay? And, and all in, the gospel costs nothing but demands everything. And so uh, that's Mark Batterson. And then John Piper, Don't Waste Your Life. Um, and so all of these books are kind of tackling the fact that in the stereotypical American church, attendance is different, right, than what it was in 1960. Regular attendance is about once a month now. In the typical church, 50% don't give anything, 50% don't do anything, da-da-da-da. In the typical church, and again, we're not the typical church. Our numbers are a lot, lot higher than that. But you get the idea. And so it makes, it makes them a little bit crotchety. Um, emphasis on mission, emphasis on being missional is a good thing. But again, in its extreme form, it can take you to a place that's not healthy. Um, it's kind of sad because a guy actually wrote a book addressing the very being overly missional and, and putting your worth and value in that, and it's called Ordinary, but nobody bought it, so now you can get it for three bucks on Christian book, on Christian. It's got four reviews. Hey, it was a great book. Oh, three reviews. <laughs> it's only got three reviews. You know, uh, it's kind of sad. All right, anyway, so today I want to talk about life from God, and, and there's the big picture, right? But I want to draw this out for you, right? So life from God. Remember, we conceive of God as a triangle because we're Christians. Remember, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's God. And in life for God, we're kind of off to the side. Here we are. And we're giving God something. We're giving him our service. We're, we're doing something to advance his kingdom. We're doing something for God. And... When you boil it down, we end up connecting our value and our worth to what we do for God. And I want to talk about that today. And so today's bottom line, in case you miss it, in this particular God filter, the person who has this God filter, who sees God this way, says to himself, I'm here to do something big for God. And the bigger it is, the more valuable I am to him. Now, churches actually have phrases for this God filter. I've researched, and I, you can, um, at first church, we turn spectators into participants. At, at a flame church, we move people from takers to givers. Um, at first congregational church, we're turning consumers into servants. And, and so churches use these phrases because they're trying to get people to be missional. And again, being missional is a good thing, but... 
life for God can get reduced to some great goal, okay? So maybe it's discipleship, evangelism, or the gospel, and people are either doing something to achieve that goal, or they should be, and it's in, and it's in extreme form, in its extreme form, your worth, my worth, is tied exclusively or solely or primarily to what we can do for God. That's a rough place to be, gang. And in case you don't know this, there's a Phil Vischer uh, was the guy who developed the Veggie Tales. If you like to, okay, right, okay, and and it was wildly successful, wildly successful. And in 2003, the company kind of failed. And he's written about it in a book called uh, Me, Myself, and Bob. And this is what he says. The more I dove into scripture, the more I realized I had been deluded. I'd grown up drinking a dangerous cocktail, a mix of the gospel, the Protestant work ethic, and the American dream. The savior I was following seemed in hindsight equal parts Jesus, Ben Franklin, and Henry Ford. And here's the kicker. My eternal value was rooted in what I could accomplish. My eternal value was rooted in what I could accomplish. Is that why you're here on planet Earth? To do something for God? Is that, is that what God primarily wants from us and for us, is for us to do stuff for Him? Using you to accomplish His eternal purposes? To answer these questions, I want to return to the story of the prodigal son. So if you brought a paper Bible, you can open it to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to be. Luke chapter 15. And again, I want to remind you, in the, in the story of the prodigal son, Jesus is making a point about something, okay? Um, and he tells three stories in a row. The story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. And in, in telling these stories, he's saying basically, anytime a sinner repents, heaven rejoices, heaven is glad, heaven celebrates. And you know what? You should too. Because God is thrilled anytime a sinner repents, all right? And so this thinking culminates in Luke 19.10 where Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. You're smart people. The man who, in the story of the prodigal son, how many sons did the man have? Two. He had two sons. The younger son had an attitude problem. He didn't want a relationship with his dad. He just wanted his dad's money. And as soon as he got the money, he left. The older son was obedient and faithful. And when the younger son returned, he was angry. And that's what I want to get into today. So Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start off in verses 25 uh, to 27. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he, he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back. He was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Once again, the key point of Jesus' teaching, when a lost sinner repents, heaven rejoices, and we should too, right? But let's keep going, verses 28 and following. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. 
His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? All these years, I slaved for you. I was obedient. I never disobeyed. The older son has the same attitude that the Pharisees had, right? We do everything right, God. Look at us. We are obeying all the rules. We've got our tassels, our talit. We pray the right prayers. We give alms to the poor. We've got it covered. We're not like these despicable people who don't honor your commandments. And in that attitude, the older brother, right, I've been obedient. The implication is the other son, my brother, has not. I am better than him. Now, he also says, I've been working day in and day out all these years I've slaved for you. Hey, Dad, I'm not appreciated here. Don't you see what I've done? You kill the fattened calf for this brother? You kill the fattened calf for him? What about me? What about my loyalty? What about my hard work? Where's my party, Dad? I did everything right. The older brother doesn't respect his dad any more than the younger brother does. And he's refusing to go in, and he's making a scene by lecturing his father in front of all the guests. They know he's not coming in. What's the deal? Why isn't he coming in? You know, come on, think of family situations. When somebody's outside and they don't come in, everybody's talking about it. <laughs> What's wrong with Susan? Shh, don't say anything. <laughs> okay? Ironically, the younger brother who was on the outside is now in, and the older brother who was in on the inside is now out. You know, Jesus talks about this a lot in the Gospels. He calls it the great reversal. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. Things get flipped on it, turned on its head. Here's what I want you to see about both of these men, both of these brothers. Neither one of them valued a relationship with their father. Neither one of them. The younger brother was brash. He demanded money and then left. The older brother was patient and worked for it. But at the end of the day, what did he want? He wanted to be rewarded. I've gotten nothing for this. So let's keep going. How does the father react? Verses 31 and following. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. All along, the dad just wanted a relationship with his sons, the younger son and the older son. That's what he wanted, for them to be with him. That's what he wanted. That same father who was looking out for the younger son's return every single day is the same father who says to the older brother, in a sense, you want to stay out here and pout? Okay. I love you too, son. I love you too, son. If you want to stay out here and pout, fine, but <laughs> I love you too. 
The irony for me is that the older son, he should have, if the older son really knew his father, he would have known, right? He would have expected, of course, there's going to be a party. That's how my dad is. That's how my dad rolls. It's in his heart. It's in his nature to be that way. Look at what the father says. Dear son, you've always stayed by me. You're, you've always been with me. And your brother is now home with me too. Come on, celebrate. The younger son isn't more valuable because he came to his senses and came home. The older son isn't more valuable because he was faithful and obedient and did all the right things. The man loved both his sons because they were his sons. Let me say this again. Some of you really need to hear this. The younger son was not more valuable because he came to his senses and came home. The older son was not more valuable because he stayed home and was faithful and did all the right things. They were both loved simply because they were his sons. Let me ask some questions in light of this passage, all right? Who do you identify with more? Who do you identify with more? Do you, do you identify more with the younger son? Do you identify more with the older son? And, and what are the truths about yourself that you see in each of those characters? Do you believe in a varsity, junior varsity deal with Christianity? Right? Where if you're a missionary or a pastor, man, you're doing big things for God, you're more valuable than the rest of us. Oh, I'm just, I'm just B team. I'm junior varsity. You know, I only come out in case of an emergency. <laughs> That was me in the early days of preaching. Oh my gosh, the pastor can't preach. I guess we'll get Max. <laughs> okay, right? Do you believe in a varsity, junior varsity version of Christianity? What do you believe God would say to you right now, right where you are? I think a lot of people, when it gets to that question, they do the whole, I think God would say to me, you got to get your act together. You blew it with this. You blew it with that. Is, is that the father in the story that we just read? Jesus wants you to understand what God the Father is like. Right? So how do you apply this, right? I, and I admit, this series, because I'm talking about how we think about things, is hard for application. But I have some suggestions. If... If you, if you have had a tendency to have your worth and value tied to what you're doing for God or other people, uh, you should observe the Sabbath. You should honor the Sabbath. You should keep the Sabbath. You want to know why? Because the Sabbath causes you to stop doing. Remember, you're a human being, not a human doing, okay? And stopping every week, right, reinforces that. You're not designed to go 24-7. You're not an AI. You're not artificial intelligence. You're not a robot. You wear down. Henry Ford, by the way, the American, in the American uh, experience in the early 1900s, if you worked in a factory, you worked six days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day. And if you were 10 years old, you worked in a factory six days a week, <laughs> 12 to 14 hours a day, and you were paid less, <laughs> right? 
which is wrong, by the way, okay? But <laughs> Henry Ford came along, and he discovered that if he reduced that and made it eight-hour shifts, five hours a day, productivity went up and accidents went down. He didn't do it because he was like, you know, I care about the workers. It's because it improved the bottom line. In other words, they were more productive when they worked less. I used to be a Sabbath breaker for the longest time. And I, you know, this is the one sin where if you're in Christian ministry, they will let you sin and, and not observe the Sabbath. And I've never heard of a church board pulling the pastor aside and going, listen, you have not taken a Sabbath. You clearly have disqualified yourself from ministry. You need to step aside, buddy. <laughs> Never, right? But when, when we pastors, when we do that, we're, we're basically saying, oh, God, you need me. I got it. Like, what kind of idolatry, messed up stuff is that? So, again, if this is your filter, I'm just telling you, Observe the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath, because God can do more in six days than you can in seven. The second thing is, if this is your filter, could you please stop judging all the lazy people? <laughs> Just stop judging all the lazy people. And I, I've been there. This was me in the past, right? Man, lazy Christians, blah, blah, blah. Okay. First of all, it's not your responsibility to kick them in the butt. That belongs to Jesus, Okay. That's Jesus' job. That's God's job. Jesus says, follow me. There's this great scene at the end of John's gospel where there's a kerfuffle about Peter and John, and, and Peter's like, well, what about him? What about John? And, and Jesus basically says, no, 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 no. Look at me. Look at me. Follow me. I will take care of John. <laughs> it's none of your business. Okay? And in a sense, he kind of says that to us too, right? So, if you could stop judging, and here's the thing, if you see the laziness and you're like, man, they, they just don't do anything, Jesus isn't clueless, okay? It's not like they're going to see him in the resurrected life and he's going to go, wow, like he's all-knowing, okay? <laughs> like, so just let him handle it, let him handle it. And, and he's told stories, right? The servant who buried his talent in the ground, he gets in trouble, okay? So Jesus can handle his kingdom, he can handle it. He's the king, he's the boss, let him, let him handle it. And then, if you're younger, okay? Oh my goodness, if you're younger, if you're under 25, please hear me. You are not the score that you get on the ACT. You are not how many balls you can get into the net. That is not your worth and that is not your value. Your value is because of who you are and whose you are. This is critically important. So if you're younger, let me tell you, America loves to reward accomplishment. And if you can accomplish and accomplish, they will heap it on you. But on the inside, you will die because you have tied your value to what you can do. And it will kill you from the inside out, okay? So work on identity first. If you're younger, that's what you should work on getting your identity rooted in Jesus and knowing who you are so that you don't have to spend the rest of your life trying to prove that to everybody through what you accomplish, okay? Here's why this is important. Here's why this is important. If you labor with a life for God filter 
you will never have security. You will always be wondering if you should have done more, could have done more. Uh, and then it will make you grumpy. It will turn you into a party pooper. As Mike says, the kingdom of God is a party. You don't want to be the kingdom of God party pooper. Okay? You will end up resenting your heavenly father's generosity never realizing that you were benefiting from the same generosity all along. 